Welcome to Small Doses. This is our first uh, video element of Small Doses. We've never had this uh, this part of the show, so I'm trying it out. You know, we're all locked up, so we might as well just figure out new things. And um, so I wanted to definitely see like how this works. So I'm hoping that you all enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please let me know. Uh, and I am very mostly curious to know like who is tuning in to Small Doses for the first time because it's on video. Uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast for two years now, thankfully, two and a, almost two and a half years, and we've had an incredible audience. It's been an incredible run. So it just felt like time to kind of just add a new element and step things up. And so here we are. So thank you to everybody who's brought us to this point. Today, we have the, well, first and foremost, let me just say like, I hope everybody is okay. Uh, I hope uh, everybody is you know, uh, managing as best as they can through these dark times and all we have is us. So we, especially creatives, I think we are finding it more important than ever to create, not just for others, but for ourselves and to maintain some level of sanity amidst uh, uncertainty. And that is imperative. So even if you're not a creative, like this is a great time to indulge in creativity that is being created by others and supporting it. Uh, speaking of which, today's episode is dedicated to Uncorked, which is a new film by Prentice Penny, director, writer, who I've worked with on Insecure and who releases film on Netflix. Uh, it is an incredible piece of work. It is just writing mastery in my opinion. And this next episode that we are about to get into is going to contain some spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film, uh, you may not want to listen to the interview yet because there's going to be spoilers about the story. Uh, if you're not even sure if you want to see the film, then maybe it is a good idea for you to listen because it may really inspire you to get up off your ass and then sit back on your ass because there ain't nowhere for you to go anyway, but just to watch the film. Let's get into it. People I like. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm a dictator, like addressing. Yeah. You're addressing the people. <laughs> addressing you, like Evita, Evita. <laughs> the coup has happened, and now I am in charge. <laughs> As you can see, I am no longer at the presidential palace. Francis is now <laughs> taking over. Um, so, welcome to uh, the first video episode of Small Doses. Francis, you are in not you are inaugural. Wait, no, this is the inaugural. Inaugural. Is, I don't have yeah. words. I don't have words because I'm in I'm in quarantine. Yeah, so you're quarantined. My my vocabulary has become very atrophied. And yeah. my mom used the word innuendo today. And I was like, oh, she was like, Calm I down. went to school. I don't know <laughs> why you're so impressed. Um, but uh, 
So I'm very happy to start this with you. And Same here. I can't believe I'm on uh, small doses. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. I was like, yo, I made it. Mama, I made it. I'm on small doses. <laughs> I was so happy. I like I texted Prentice. I said, Prentice, would you would you be down to come on the podcast? Yes, girl, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that's what's uh, Of course. So um, let me start by saying that I knew, I just want to bet myself on the back a bit that I knew from the trailer, oh, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a joy. This is gonna be a special experience of a film. I knew. And really? so Why? I'm gonna pat you because you made a good ass fucking trailer. Like and people don't know how to make trailers. And I didn't know that until I started seeing bad trailers. And <laughs> like, I never knew there was a grade of trailer until I started seeing bad trailers. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what I was immediately drawn to in your trailer was one, the quality of the images. So just seeing your attention to detail in how you be doing things. Um, two, the trailer let us know that we wanted to learn more about these characters without letting us know everything that's going to happen to these characters. Oh, okay. That's good. That to me is what people keep doing these days because so many films seem so surface that they kind of got to give everything away to even make you willing to show up. To go see it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, there's just not enough to draw you in. And this movie just had so much that you were able to just like skim the surface and be able to pull us all in. So this oh, episode is Side Effects of Uncorked with Prentice Penne. Ah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, uh, Prentice is our showrunner at Insecure. Uh, Prentice is a writer, uh, producer, director extraordinaire. He's also one of the most meticulously dressed individuals <laughs> I've ever met. I have ever met. Uh, he keeps a healthy, a healthy, um, a healthy closet of sneakers. Um, oh, so like, sure. it's like, don't sleep. Like, I'm not just a hard bottom. I'm not just a brunch boot. I have right, a sneaker right. as well. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and Prentice had a show at True TV. Yeah, we both were, we both were over there then. Prentice and I, there was a point at one time where Prentice and I were the only two Black people that worked for the company in a room of 100 people that work at the company. <laughs> and they had the nerve to sit us at the same table. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Across from each other. I'm like, y'all don't even try to like spread us out. It was so literally just like, okay, polka dots. Like we was just. You know y'all are comfortable sitting here together. <laughs> like, come on. You know y'all are more comfortable. Um, and just to even add, to add to this, the person sitting left to me was Sean Spicer's brother. Who I forgot about that. You're right. At your TV. You're right. Like, I forgot about that. You're right. I forgot he was his brother. That's right. That was crazy. <laughs> He was very lovely, but it was just like, you he know was. who your brother is? He's yeah. very lovely. Uh, he was. Very lovely. So I 
you know, so you when you had your show at True TV, I still contend to this day that the pilot is was flawless. The pilot was flawless. And you know, I feel like, you know, these networks be throwing in all type of other things to try and make things make sense. I mean, I know that because I spoke about it in my book, Small Doses, yeah. Interest Every Day. Um, <laughs> now available, also on Audible. Uh, but like, you know, these companies, a lot of times, they just are so concerned with whiteness. It is. Yeah. It's not even yeah. like yeah. innuendo. They're just like, no, no. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, how will we appeal to them? <laughs> and what I loved about your show, though, was that every episode of the show, Prentice would basically like teach us about two aspects that we didn't know about. And wine was one yeah. of them. Wine uh, was one of them, yeah. We learned about how to get better meats at a butcher. Yeah. So I was yep. like, yep. oh, I see where the knowledge yeah. in this film <laughs> germinated. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So I say all that to say that, um, you know, I've been, you know, that I've been a fan of yours for a minute and the work you do beyond Insecure, it's, you know, you have absolutely like made it clear that it's not like you are booking a ticket on this show. Like you have 1000%, you've shown, you you have shown to all of us in many ways, like, oh, this is like a whole well-rounded person, which is not necessarily the case in Hollywood as we know. (laughs) As we know, as we know. Thank you. So Uncorked is your yeah. film on Netflix. Um, first and foremost, what made you say this is a story that needs to be told? Yeah, so originally it stemmed from um, uh, me wanting to examine stuff with my father. Like I felt like um, I had certain, you know, as we all do, we have views about our parents, right? That are very kind of judgmental in some ways. And then I had two boys and it made me want to really examine my father as like, oh, you were just 25 trying to figure it out. (laughs) The same way I'm, you know, 30 trying to figure it out, you know, like raising boys. And then I also felt like, to your point, like I never, I felt like white people get to do these sort of father-son stories like Good Will Hunting or Manchester by the Sea and get nominated for Oscars for just being basic and simple. And all of our father-son stories with people of color had to be like the dad was absent or the dad did drugs or overcame, we overcame the worst obstacles possible. And we just couldn't do like a basic, like we just couldn't be basic and regular as our father, like and they just have issues as two black men, right? And so I just feel like you never get to see black men in cinema be vulnerable, be three-dimensional, um, and not play basketball or rap or just like just be there regular. There was no dude. basketball. There was no. We're gonna bond no. on the court. <laughs> no, no, there was no. We're gonna bond on the court. Game. They got game. Y'all got game. <laughs> <laughs> nah. nah, it was not. It was no. We bonded over this thing or that thing. It, it was just like I just like white men get to have just be simple and 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 we and always there's this level to me of like and I think Mama our actor said it well. It was like there's always this level of like white white supremacy hanging over the movie in some way that it's informing the character's choices. And I was like, so much of what we do has nothing literally to do with white people or the influence of white people. Like when I wake up in the morning, I don't go, oh man, I want to raise my kid, but that white man won't let me. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out 
how to be a good dad, right? And so I was like, so much of it doesn't have anything to do with white people. And so I wanted the movie. That's why, I, like, I remember some studio execs were like, well, you should write it from, like, what it's like from a black perspective to be about one. And I was like, but that's not really the point of the movie. It's not about his journey into wine as that is impacting him. I was like, we have a black president. You tell me we can't have a black like, someone, yeah, this is crazy. And so I just never wanted the movie to even ever be the dad just telling him you can't be something because I was like, the dad, He's 50-something. Like, he, he's old enough to understand. He's a black businessman himself. Right. It was like, it, it was never about... restaurant. Yeah. Exactly. And so, open it too, right? So, I was just like, I never wanted the, that race issue to be impact what this family was going through or what these men were going through. So, that's really what it came to was just wanting to see black men in a way to be vulnerable and have issues and have to just sort it out. Because, again, you know, we don't ever really see that imagery on screen. I mean, me and my homegirl was like watching it. And we're just like, why won't these niggas just say I love you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else said that today. It was like black men with their old pride ass only to come around and say it later. <laughs> I'm going I'm, I'm to put the wood in the fire. Yeah. It's an implied I love you. The yeah. wood no, is I, in I, the fire. That was the other thing. I never wanted them to say, I love you. I never wanted them to say it. Cause I felt like that would be not real. Yo, man, you, there, there were so many times I was like, somebody got to cry. Somebody going to cry. <laughs> Nobody going to cry. Shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes. The emotional constipation was so intense and so real as a black woman who deals with black men. It was like, I feel attacked. I feel attacked. Uh, (laughs) And it's not even about you. (laughs) At all. At all. Like, I need to go find me because I can't. I can't. Right. Um, Right. I mean, I, I think what I really ultimately appreciated i mean i have a laundry list of things i appreciated so first of all what i appreciated on just a basic note as someone who knows you was just how intrinsically you the film was without it being like this is apprentice panty production (laughs) (laughs) right you know like yeah yeah, i just saw i saw the details i heard your language and i there's no like so at insecure like you know, there's other shows where you kind of have a little bit more freedom with 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 script. And Insecure, we're very, like, precise, like, to the word. And it's because you guys are very much about, like, there's no... You, you don't want there to be throwaway lines. And right. that's what I really... I heard that from you in this film. Like, there was not one throwaway line. Any under the... Every Sato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was definitely some Sato's. There was Hello, definitely... Sato's, you, know, you, know you know I'm going to put some Sato's in there. There were so many, and you gotta be like, "Whoa, what is that? What is that?" I texted you. My favorite line of the movie was, uh, uh, ain't, "People don't like mimes. Ain't nobody gonna pay for a black mime." <laughs> she crushed that line. Yo, so that I thought was so dope because as a, you know, as a director, um, what do you? Because this isn't your. This is your first film. Director, yeah. Yes? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I know you've directed episodes of Insecure sure. and other things. Like, what made what was different about directing the film than directing Insecure? There were a few things. I think the biggest thing is one is I had to get over 
my own personal issues. So like, and what I mean by that is like, you know, on TV, obviously things are very collaborative, right? So you have a writer's room, so there's lots of writers, right? And on set, you know, you, you have other writers who are like, you know, and you have on our show, like, you know, you have a different director kind of every week, right? So there's a, a lot of collaborativeness that you're trying to do, right? With a movie, it's just you, right? You, there's, no, there's no other writer to answer to. There's no this. And so my natural instinct, at least for the last few years of the show, has been to always be as inclusive as I can be, uh, hearing other writers' voices and hearing a lot of other input, right? And a movie is, while you want input, it can't be everybody, it can't be that collaborative to, in some fashion, right? Like, and I think a lot of that has to happen early on when you're like, you know, prepping stuff or like figuring out sets. But what I had to get over was needing everybody to be, have fun in the sandbox. Because obviously when you're doing a television show, you know, you're going to be around next week, the week after that, the week after that. And uh, I had to kind of get past, like, I was like, oh, I need to, because I would hear stories about directors be like, oh, he's an asshole. And then you go, oh, oh no, he's not. He's trying to push this rock up this hill and you either pushing it with me or getting the hell out the way. But it's not, I'm not pushing up the, the rock up the hill by committee. So, and I think that's the biggest thing I had to get. And that's not my natural instinct, right? And so I had to kind of move past that and be like, well, I know my wife and my kids love me. So I don't need nobody else to love me. I don't need nobody else to like me. <laughs> and I really had to get to that place. Like day five, I was like, oh yeah, this is not, I don't care, whatever. I'm going this way. You can either come with me or move out the way. Uh, so that was just a, a personal thing I had to like develop and grow in. Um, but from a, a filmmaking standpoint, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest difference is we got to be much more cinematic, I think, in a way that you can't sometimes in television shows, right? Because like obviously with a, a television show, like the look is set, right, from the pilot. So you're kind of mimicking, you know, you can deviate a little bit and you can grow, but you're kind of still have to stay within the purview of kind of what was set, right? Yeah. And so on a movie though, and you and on the television show, you also have to honor what came before this episode and what's going to come after this episode, right? Um, so you have to always be faithful to that, right? In a movie, it's a singular piece of art that is that there's no before and there's no after. It just exists as it is. So you could, I could do different shots that we just can't, can't do on our show because that's not the look and style of our show. I could linger on takes much longer I can say, oh, I'm not shooting any coverage of this. I'm just shooting this in one take, in one shot, because I feel like that's more cinematic. So I, I was trying to make more cinematic choices, shooting in silhouette, um, which I tried to bring into the show this year, too. Um, uh, so I tried to like just take more chances visually um, to tell the story in a different way than I could on a television show because of kind of what exists already there. I felt that because, and I need you to know, like, I'm not gassing you. I oh, I know that. I know that. Because <laughs> I've done other shit that you haven't hit before. So I, <laughs> so I know your shit's real. I know. Girl, you know I know that. Come on now. <laughs> that touched me here in my left cherry. <laughs> no, like. It was so good, Prentice. It was so good. Like. I just need you, I just need to take a moment to just really tell you like eye to eye, like it was so perfect and beautiful. And oh, thank you. I have not gotten to feel that way from a film in a very long time. Like I, and I love film, you know, yeah. and I, I go there to feel that way. I go to film so I can be immersed in a world that's outside Dang. of my own and leave changed. Dang. That's, 
and 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 we and and I and also I, the fact that we didn't even get to see this in the, in the theater, you know, I had to watch this in my living room, and it I left my living room changed, and I think for black art in particular, right? Because the beauty of this is it's there's of course the classification of it's a film, like let's not it's not a black, you know, like the, right, the, yeah. But there's also the fact that like it does add to that to the black cultural canon, yeah. In such a way that is um, just so thoughtful, and it's like no, I don't know how anyone can watch it and not be moved by just that. Like this is clearly somebody who put this together that was like, "I'm doing this for us." Like, yeah. I'm gonna 100%. be thoughtful about this. About a hundred percent. Every and everything was like that. Yeah. There were pauses that were just these like cavernous, fertile, like, b- basins of so much. And I'd just be like, damn, nigga, go to the next shot. Like, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. But I'm like, so no, no, I wanted you. I wanted, I wouldn't, when I tried to do that as much as possible, like, let people sit in being, one, one of those scenes, which is so funny you say that, is this, uh, the scene when he's, um, Elijah is drinking and having the flashes of his mom after she, uh, and the images pop up and everything and we had cut the scene one way and somehow it just wasn't working and then i was like um don't cut to the don't cut to the classmates anymore like you just hear them off camera but i was like i wanted you to sit because in the performance when on the day when we were filming it you know the actor mamadou was having like and that seemed like real breakdown he's just so good and it was so on display not just for the actors but it was on display for the crew right he's so naked and so vulnerable doing that scene. And so I was like, I was uncomfortable watching it at the monitor. And so I You'd was be like, uncomfortable I just, at the monitor though. I was like, <laughs> Prentice be uncomfortable at the monitor. There has been a time where I did a scene and Prentice came in there like, you good? Like, what's up? Like, you all right? Like, you straight? You know, like, hey. I'm acting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's I'm, when you know it's good, right? <laughs> but that's when you know it's good, right? When you're actually feeling it and you know it's written. Like, you know, I know like, he's you saying know lines, <laughs> right, that I'm expecting him to say, but I'm losing myself in the thing. And so when we, re- when we recut that scene, I was like, don't ever cut to the classmates anymore. Let the, I want the audience to be as uncomfortable watching him break down about his mama as I was at that monitor. And at that monitor, I couldn't cut away. I was just there. And so we just kept, we just like kind of jump cut it, the, the performance, but we never allowed you to leave his face, only to see him or the mom. And that was one of those things where it was like, just playing in, in you know, silence and trying to keep people uncomfortable as much as possible. I think I speak for everybody when I said, I can't believe mama died. I can't, and I, <laughs> and I knew it, like, cause I know story, right? So I'm right. like, his mama gonna die. She, she has, she has <laughs> Already to. though, I know, I know it. <laughs> I know it's inevitable. She ha- she has to, but you ain't have to make him not see her before she die. And that's where I was like, you know what? Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> but that's real life. That's real life. Oh, I know. Like, like we don't we don't get these perfect to. goodbyes and these you know wonderful moments. And can we just talk for a moment about how bananas Nisi was? Like, oh my god, Nisi was so good. She was so good. She was so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wrote it for her. Really? Yeah, I wrote it for her. I had worked with Nisi on a show for Fox like years ago. 
you know, again, only two black people on the show. And uh, and we just connected because we knew what it was. Yeah. And um, she had told me a story, and I and again, I I was getting it wrong a little bit, but the 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 gist of the story is either her mom or her grandmother was in the hospital uh, for cancer or some other reason, and she started. Um, doing stand up, just trying to make her again, her mom or her grandma laugh. That's really where she got, got her start from. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, I'm funny. I can really do this. And then obviously she went on to do other things. But that story always stuck with me. And as I was trying to, uh, like, look, like Lewis and Elijah in the movie are kind of me and my dad, they're versions of me and my father are a little bit different. But Sylvia's not like my mom. And so when every time I kept trying to think with this voice on, like, I just kept thinking about Nietzsche's story and I kept hearing her. And then I was like, well, I'm going to just write it for Nisi, like in my mind. And I was like, I'm going to just write it for her. And then, because um, I just was like, well, I know her. Maybe she'll do it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Right. And then I told her, I was like, hey, I wrote this movie. Um, and this is even before, I was writing this before we even, I even got on Insecure. So this is, you know, 2014, early 2015. I, I wrote this movie, shit, for five years ago. And, uh, and, uh, and she, I no, just serious. Assumed- like you had a meeting at Netflix and they was like, you know, we rock with you, write something, we gonna do it. No, no, it took three, it took, I finished it in the summer 2015. We didn't shoot till 2018. 18. Mm-hmm, the fall. So no, I wrote it for her. I told her, she was like, let me know when you get the money. And I would tell her every time, I was like, I still got this movie. She's like, let me know when you got the money. She hadn't even read it. She didn't even read it. She was like, I'll just do it because it's you. And, and then I got the money. I was like, yo, Netflix is gonna make the movie. She was like, great, what are the dates? And then I gave her the dates, and she was like, well, I should probably read it. <laughs> and she read it. <laughs> and then she called me that night and was like, I love this. I'll do, I'm in. And that's how we, I got Nisi. And she was, that's why I, I rock with her forever. And she hadn't even seen the movie until it came out Friday. <laughs> and then like, she yes, called me, and she was, like, she was like, boy, you put your foot in this movie. I, I, she was like, I didn't, you know, she's been busy. She's on clock. She's doing 18 million things. And, uh, and so, yeah. So, so that's how I got to be. I wrote it five five years ago. So why Memphis? So I knew that once I said it, and I grew up in a family business, and my family business was a furniture store that my father that, that my grandfather started, like just like the movie that my grandfather started it. My grandfather had a stroke. My dad took it over. Dropped out of college, and then I was next up. So, but I knew I didn't want it to be furniture, and I knew I didn't want the son to be a writer like me. I was, those, those are boring jobs. And so uh, I had friends of mine that ran, that grew up in family, uh, family restaurants. And it's usually always like a very, we're all invested, it's all hands on deck because all the family's money comes out of this thing, right? right. So uh, I thought, well, that's really interesting. And food is very visual. That'll like shoot well. And then I thought, you know, black men, barbecue, like, I knew it was a father-son story. So things kind of became like, oh, barbecue is kind of thing. I always think barbecue is a thing that men, um, it's very primal, right? In a lot of ways where like, I thought about, I thought about lessons my father told me was always around like cooking barbecue and cause he never would sit down and be like, all right, so let's have a talk. It would just be, we'd sit there be, you know, barbecuing and he'd drop some jewel on me. Right. And so that's where I was like, Oh, that's where I feel like men can kind of have our, that's like a black man water cooler. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah, those yeah. type of things. Right. And so I was like, well, if the father is so serious about this restaurant, then it has to be in a place where barbecue is that serious. Right. And so it can, really came down to like, four places right texas memphis north carolina um and like kansas city st louis area and so mm-hmm. really once i settled on those reasons i was like well texas i feel like i've kind of seen texas in movies before i don't feel like i can shoot it in a way that's super interesting north carolina i couldn't kind of latch into so it really was uh, kansas city so and memphis rich. 
And and when I went and when I researched the city, because I'm not from Memphis, don't never been there, knew, don't know no one from there. And so I was like, well, when I researched the city, I was like, okay, it's 70% black. Obviously, it's where Dr. King was killed, the Lorraine Motel. There's a ton of civil rights. The I'm a Man posters came out of there. Uh, the obviously Stacks Records. So you're talking yep. so much Soul, Sam and Dave, Isaac Hayes. Obviously, even Elvis Presley with Stone Records. Like so much of like Americana that we just kind of take for granted. Barbecue and all this sort of thing is so. And I was like, you know, for this dad to have such reverence for his father, he probably would have seen his like he watched his dad open up a restaurant, but also probably watched his dad get dog kicked on him, hoses turned on him. So he has such a reverence. Courtney's character would have such a reverence for his yeah. father. So that is all will be informed by where the city is. And so in my mind, I felt like it was probably going to be Memphis just thinking about those things. And then when we went to Memphis within like two hours, I was like, oh, this is the, I was like, it has to happen here. And and that's sort of how it got started on me. And then obviously trap music and all that type of, all that, you know, just felt like, oh, this is a good fit. My mom is from Grenada. So she has certain American destinations that fascinate her. And so uh-huh. for her 70th birthday, for three years, she was like, we're going to Memphis for my 70th birthday. We're going Dude, to Memphis. Why did she lock it on Memphis? Right. We were like, <laughs> me and like my aunt were like, Memphis? And I mean, no shade to Memphis. It's just that, no, you know, no, it's, it was just yeah. like, oh, yeah. but because of the music. Yeah. And my mom is a big, 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 big music head. And she was like, I want to go to Watch Stacks. And I want to see B.B. King and <laughs> da, da, da. And because yeah. of me, like, you know, she's also become very in tune to civil rights and, yep. you know, all of these things. Yep. So we went to Memphis for three days for my mama's uh-huh. birthday, for her 70th birthday. And so when we when it came on and it was Memphis, she was like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> like, yes, yes. <laughs> and my aunt was here, so it was like all three of us, like, yes, we did this. We did this. We know it. We know that. I know what that is. Yeah, we know, you know? about this. Yep. And a friend of mine was like, well, I just feel like ambrosia isn't accurate. Like, they wouldn't have ambrosia. And I'm like, they'd be serving ambrosia at soul food restaurants. Like, yes, 100%. Maybe not in LA, you know, but in the yes. South, they do serve ambrosia. Like, that's a yes. regular, like, Southern. My barbecue. grandmother, my grandmother is from Oklahoma. And and my uncle, I mean, and my grandfather was from uh, my Kansas City, and there would be ambrosia every Easter, every meal, and nobody was fucking with that ambrosia. <laughs> so I was like, nobody fucks with ambrosia, but somebody always makes it. And I was like, the sister can't cook, so what she can do is do some Jello and throw some marshmallows in that shit, and that's nobody's <laughs> eating it. <laughs> you try to use this monkey bread? Yep, I ain't gonna eat it again. Yep, but I ain't gonna eat it again, <laughs> right? But it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. That's what we, that's what we always talked about. It took the mama to die for her to start being. <laughs> I think about that immediately. I'm like, look at that. Took a death. It took, <laughs> took a death, death. for took her gift to ride. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. No, you know, something that I've seen a lot of people talking about is how we was all, I mean, I, I knew you well enough to know that it wasn't going to go down this road, but like people were like, oh, white savior, I see it. I see it coming around the corner. And then it was like, aha, catch a bitch. Yeah. So what, I guess my question is, there's certain stuff in the film and that being one of them that I was like, I wonder if that was like from draft one that he was like, I want, I don't want, I don't want this guy, this white guy to be like this. Um, or if that came uh, later as an evolution. 
Yeah. In what, in like, in what, in what way specifically, like being able there to like to help him out or save him in the test? Well, or, just making the choice that he wasn't a white savior, you know, like and being. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, because it was never about that. Like Harvard, in the earlier drafts, Harvard had always bailed on him. Um, because uh, that was just real. Like it was, the thing that I liked about Harvard, which I think Matt McGoy played him great, right? Hey, we had other guys that Matt was so good. Like we had other guys who would look like the more the stereotypical, like you know, hard, like chiseled features and like Mad like, Men. Yeah, very, very Don Drapery, and yes. they all kind of played it one note. And what I liked about Matt was like, you know, he wasn't like the, the most obvious terms physically in terms of like how they would be, but his arrogance and i was like that's how white men are sometimes is they have no physical reason to be arrogant but they they just like well i'm white so i'm, I'm gonna be i'm me so so i just so and matt just embodies and what i loved about Matt's performance too is like he didn't play the archetype of that right like he actually is a good friend to elijah he actually is like says like i'll help you out like can you do this could you come or whatever and he basically does, I think, like a lot of young people do, and not even if he's white specific, but he basically tells, like, they're kind of kindred spirits, right? Like, Matt's character has issues with his father, too, right? He basically says, look, I get it. I have the same things, but, like, you got to do what you got to do. But when it came time for Matt to stand up to his father, right, when, and he just couldn't do it. And I think that was that, when that, in that scene, when he has to disappoint him, one of the things I told Matt, I was like, you know, try not to look in, Try not to look it into Mamadou's eyes as much as possible in this thing because you're so embarrassed Shame. of what you said yeah. to him back in Memphis. And he just played that so great when he was just like, he didn't want to make eye contact because he's ashamed. I was like, that's, that's what this moment is. You're, you're ashamed to tell him this. And, and he just brought, I thought he brought a lot of humanity to that, but it was never about white people. I never wanted any of that energy in the movie at, at all. I loved the, the, the girlfriend and how she never let up. Oh, Sasha, yeah. No. She's actually based on my wife. My wife don't want people to tell people that, but she's actually based on... My wife's name is Tasha, and the character's name is Tanya. And uh, that's how my wife is. My wife will never... Well, why can't you do it? That, like, she won't let me ease by on my bullshit. And I feel like that's what, like, a good woman does, especially a good black woman is, like, she won't... Like, even the scene when they're, like, in the bed together, and, she's, and he basically called her out about her shit, and just the level of like the head wrap, and he's trying to get in, like, baby, set the alarm. <laughs> you know, like all the, all the things you try. She's like, okay. not trying to hear, not trying to hear, not here for none of it. And it really isn't until he's vulnerable and says, like, you know, what if I go and I fail and I'm not good enough? Then what? You then know what I mean? Then it was, and that's what, yes, and now I'm listening. So that even in the direction I was telling, I was like, I was like, even if he says that, and, and, the, and you know in the line it's supposed to make you do that. I was, but I told her, I was like, you don't turn until you believe Mamadou is truthful. And there would be a couple of tapes when he would say the line and she just didn't turn. And I loved it because I was like, that's the whole, because you have to, when you, I was like, Sasha, when you believe it, in his, when, you, like, when you're listening and you believe it, you turn. And that was just a take that she turned on. And it was well, great. Right. It was great. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, because I, I saw myself in her. Like, I am that yeah. woman to men, which is why I'm single. Um, but, you know. But you, but, but you can't stop being a good, you know, Black woman just because they not Niggas up for the thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so I just be like, I, 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 I'm always just like, don't let this shit stop you. Like, there's right. always going to be things to stop you, you know? And like, it just always felt like she had found a beautiful way 
to be stern. Yeah. But without it being like, you can't watch her and, and make it like, Oh, see, she extra, you know, like she's doing too much, like, you know, and, and I, and I feel like that's, um, that's an argument that I see happening a lot. It's just like, you know, why can't you just let a nigga live, you know? And I don't just mean like that just in general. And I think so many black women share her sentiment of just like, we're just trying to push you. Yeah. Like the way that the society is pushing you, we're trying to literally push right. you the whole, uh, like with the same strength in the yeah. other direction. And yeah. I think that we want that too, which is why, you know, he pushed her back and she was yeah. just like, but also yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> but, she, but she knew, and I feel like it's so funny. Like some of the, some of the reviews about their storyline is like, oh, it's really great. It's something like it's really thin. And what's been interesting to me is like what I think what you picked up on is like, look, like the story is not a love story, right? It's not a, this movie's not a love story, right? She's, her function in the story is to be something that his father can't be and something that his, even his mom can't be, right? His, has to be, the mom has to serve, the mom is like the protector, right? The father is the, the I don't know, the antagonist, but he's pushing his son, right? He needs a place that's safe, right? That's what she is, but also pushes him, right? And I think, that's her function in his life. Like a lot of us, that's how my wife functions in my life is when, when I'm doing things that are great. She loves that. When I'm like bullshitting about like why I can't do something, she's like, no, that's not true. You know what I mean? And like, I think that scene when he says why he can't go is she, he gets, he lashes out because he's, she's right. And so he's just being defensive. You know what I mean? And it's not until he's honest. Is it actually, you know, is he worth a damn? You know what I mean? So uh, that I just thought that was so. I thought she was so real, even in the roller skating ring when she was wrong, right? When she kind of clapped, you know, she was like, "I don't know." She, like, she said, "What you?" And you make monkey excuses, and she, it was like, and she caught her. She was like, "You know what? I have a tendency to <laughs> speak too quick sometimes." Okay. She owned it. So, but but she, she didn't take it back. But 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 you're right. <laughs> she didn't say I was. She said I was wrong for saying that, but she didn't say I was wrong for what I said. If that makes sense, no, like and, and absolutely. And and nor and and to be honest, nor should she have been. She was she was right. And I think I'll be thinking about moments like that. And I think that's when you have moments like that with somebody you you're gonna end up being with. I think those are defining moments that make you decide absolutely. and say, oh, this is somebody I can be with, or I like being with, or is probably gonna be good for me, even if I don't like it. And I think those are, that was, I think that I always told them that was a pivotal moment that I told the, uh, the actor, I was like, hey, this is the moment you decide she's, she's going to be somebody you want to be with, right? And so, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I do feel like this is a Black love film, but it's not, but it's Black love on like a number of different ways. Like yes. it is That's Black true. love of community, right? Like, so yep. when they, when they raise the $3,000, <laughs> I, I cried glory tears this whole movie. Like just like a single tear. What solid. I was just Denzeling the whole movie. Just. <laughs> That's how Black Family do it. It's like, whatever we got to do. When dad showed up with the, <laughs> Support, support. When they had the dom- when they pulled out the dominoes. Dominoes. Support. <laughs> Did you think that was the dad at the door? Did you think Courtney was gonna show up? No, I thought it was a girlfriend. Good, I good, it was a girlfriend, good. Which would have been fine, right? It would have been totally fine. It would have been totally fine. But um, but again, 
the dad can't say, I'm coming to support you. No, I can't. Your no. mama would be, I'm like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be but a that's, break But that's me. But that's me. We're not oh, going. We're not going to say jokes. it. But we, it's it's the act. It's the action. The action says it. You know. You know. Like my wife grew up in a thing where she was like her father just never used to say, "I love you," and it was a big thing for her. But then she would tell me all these stories about like how my my, my wife used to ski competitively in high school, and her dad used to drive her every weekend from from San Jose to Tahoe to ski every weekend. And he worked a full ass, you know, nine to five during the week. And I was like, girl, that's the, that's the, that's the, he paid for Spelman. That's the, I love you, girl. Like that's, you know, do he love me? Uh, wait. <laughs> but I need to hear it though. But I, right, but I, right. Need, but I need to hear it though. He's not going to do it. I don't think Courtney's character would ever say, I, I don't think that dad, I don't think, like my dad is actually is more effusive than, than Courtney, but I don't think Courtney's character would ever say, I love you. Ever. Not even just love you, son. Nah. Nothing. You know, you know what's so funny? He wanted there was a take when they're saying goodbye at the um when he's about to go take the test and they're at the house and he's getting ready to leave and then he's giving him the suit. There was a moment uh the, originally the script it was when he gives him the suit, but there was the, the line was um the dad goes, Hey, you know, like I whatever. He, he doesn't finish it. And the, the Elijah's character goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, or whatever. And then I was like, and Courtney's, to Courtney's point, Courtney said, well, this, I wrote it because I felt like the dad had wanted to say it. And the son knew that was hard for the dad. And basically, I don't need you to say it anymore. Like, I'm, I'm okay yeah, understanding this. Yeah. And then Courtney was like, well, I feel like he owes his son that. We actually had a lot of discussions about what that moment mm. became. And so... Then there was a line that was there that was, you know, uh, uh, he's like, like, you know, you like your grandfather. And he goes, uh, and he goes, I forget what Elijah says. He goes, you know, he, he, he started his own thing and you're doing your thing and, and, and he doesn't finish it. But he's basically saying like, the point of it was like, as much reverence as I have for my father, you're like him. And so as a result, you know how I feel about you. And that is cut so that much algebra. Oh, my <laughs> God. And then when we cut it together, I just felt at the end of the day, let's just do it as a look. And they don't need this. They, it just is what it is. And I thought the look is so much more interesting because they both know it. No, no words to even kind of feel it. And then the horn gets haunted. It's like that moment gets cut off, you know. And so him showing up at the test and therefore it's, you know, him showing up, you know, like your mama wanted me to come up, you know, it's all that. It's not owning. I don't want to own this emotion because it's too much. It's too much. I can't see it coming down my eyes. So I gotta make the <laughs> <star> cry. <laughs> That's real. Be like that. What was the, the process of writing this because I think for a lot of people like so we just had Kenya Barris on and he was just talking about like TV writing and I think one of the things that was very interesting that I just picked up from you was he talked about how he was like don't write don't write the story write with a thing that you want to say and write the story in order to get what you want to say across and so when I asked you about you know what made you want to tell this story I thought you were going to lead with well, you know, niggas know about wine, even though they be trying to say we don't know about wine. But it was like, no, like this is about my father and me. And it was just these were these yeah. devices that allowed for me to tell this bigger story yeah. through 
this. So I just wanted to hear more about like your process because writing it for five years. So you wrote it five years ago. I wrote it five years ago. And obviously I would keep, you know, massaging it and polishing it along the way. Um, and then obviously once we made it Memphis, polishing it even more because that started to infuse, yeah. you know, a much more of a- How late in the process did you decide it on being Memphis? Uh, it was always, it was set early on in Memphis. Uh, I, I think from the first draft was always Memphis. Once I had locked in the cities, but uh, then going there added another layer of things I needed to rewrite based on time of year we were filming because I had some scenes that were set outside because in my mind it was always summertime. I never think about the South in the winter. Yeah. Um, and it became so much more interesting when we just happened to have the film there in the winter. It just became more interesting visually um, as a canvas. Uh, so then I had to rewrite scenes that were, you know, outdoors, indoor, like the family thing. Instead of, I had to write inside the house instead of a barbecue. So obviously that, that changes some dialogue possibly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, so yeah, so I would, I'd be working on it for about, you know, three or four years. Yeah. What would you say is like the biggest, what was the biggest addition to the script? If there was one at all, that was like, kind of like a last, like a last thought. Like, I feel like there's all like, as a writer, like you'll have mm -hmm. like, okay, this is how it is. This is how it is. This is how it is. And then you'll have a, a eureka moment. Like what, was there any eureka moment that made you be like, oh. There were two yeah, there were two things. One, originally in a very early draft, he passed, he passed the test. And that, it always kind of bumped me. And I, don't, I didn't know why. Like, and I, it's interesting because some of the responses online, like a lot of people obviously, are, I'm just very thankful. Like, like, I love the movie a lot and really love the ending that it's messy, right? And it's great. And some people are like, oh, I just wanted the happy ending. And that's what I wrote initially. And it just always felt false to me. Because I was like, you don't get everything in life just because you want it. That's, and that's not the point of the story. The, the dad is saying, you got to be in a man. You wanna, I need you to step into being a man. And being a man is when you don't get what you want, what do you do, right? And so I felt like the win was the father-son relationship. That's the win, Absolutely. right? The win is not the test, right? And this, so once I changed that, that just became so much more interesting, right? Mm. Because now we had other things like, well, what now? I mean, I'm, I'm building to think, oh, Courtney and Elijah are working together and they're going to get to the test and here it is. And it is. And the, the, the feel-good party was like, yeah, they passed. But everybody who was like, well, why didn't he just want to open up a wine thing in his ass or something? And, and I, loved, I loved hearing that because that's kind of the point, right? It's like, it's never, it's more interesting what happens to the hero once he falls, right? Not when he gets the win. Yes. So, um, so, that, so that was a, a change. But then the other, one, the other one is the scene where, again, the mom, where he's having the flashes of the mom. Originally, I had a scene where he was just sort of, um, having a hard time studying, but the mother part wasn't in there. And there, there was no real drive why he was having a hard time. It was just, he's having a hard time. And one of my DP earlier on, as we kept talking about it, it was like, oh, there'd be a cool sequence in the beginning. Cause we always talked about it in the movie, like attaching a wine to an emotion or a feeling or a place. Mm -hmm. And so one of the notes that Netflix has was like, well, why is he good at this? Why is he good? Why is this a thing he loves or why is this? And sometimes I don't necessarily think you need those things, but I wrote these scenes where they're like little flashes when he's studying wine in the beginning where he's seeing, he's seeing imagery of his father and him cooking uh, over, the, uh, over the barbecue sauce. And then there's an image of his mom picking herbs in the garden. And so like he can, so it's like, he's like smelling stuff and being like, that's like this. He, he's attaching what he already knew yes. from his family. And, and it was Sense great. Memory. I was like, oh, that, yeah, it was great. And then I was like, oh, and then the, pay, the payoff of that is 
now the memories are eliciting feelings of his mom, right? right. The, 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 that, right now it, there's a pain. Yeah. And so, but when we cut the movie together, the other, the, the, the A part of the feel good stuff, it just felt kind of cheesy. Like seeing it, it's a good, it was a good idea on the page and it was a good idea when we, and we shot it and it looked great. But to, together, it just felt kind of cheesy. Mm. And I was like, this was, it started to feel hallmarky. And I was like, that's not what this is going for. And, but the B side to me still worked. And that, I was like, that worked to me regardless of meeting the A side. So that was something that got added uh, pretty late in the, in the process. That happened, I to say, like a couple months before we started filming. How was filming in Paris? Girl, you know, that was bomb. You know that was my, I mean, to, and, to, and here's what's so crazy, what was so beautiful to me about it is, I always feel like, again, why people get to go to Paris or, like, like the, you know, they get to make Under the Tuscan Sun and as good as it gets, and there are Woody Allen movies in Paris. And, like, and you never see us, obviously we go to these places, right? We travel the world, but you don't see right. us in these movies unless it's like a spy movie and they have to be in Paris for a mission. <laughs> but just to like go on a trip, yes. they, we don't get to do that, right? And so- And we're still serving America. And we're still serving America. <laughs> So, so for me, it was really about the imagery of seeing this black man bike riding through Paris, and me directing another black man bike riding through Paris, and in that the Orsay, and next to like Degas and Cezanne, and setting it to like French hip hop. It was. I remember we were filming in the, and they like shut down the Orsay, which is like the second most you know famous museum in Paris, and they're just like, and I'm just like, I can't believe my first movie that I'm directing. And like, there's Monet's and Manet's and Cezanne's and these parsley were so hard. And I got this French crew that was amazing. And they're all being run by this black man. Like, I was just like, that, I actually had to walk away. That, when I thought about it too much, I was like, it's a movie about fathers, black fathers and sons. And, and here I am. And it, it was just like, I had to actually kind of compose Recenter. myself. Yeah. yeah, because you're just like, where, like, where do they do this at? Like, wh- where does this exist? Like, I've just never seen a black man bike ride through Paris from the way that I see white counterparts do this. And I just was like, I was on. How, how did you shoot the pedals? Like when he was riding, is yeah, it a book yeah. We put, you know, we put like a, it's like a red, it was a, like we shot with the red camera and there was like a mini red that's like, it almost looks like a, a, a small box. And we built like a, uh, we put, basically like put it on a wood platform around the bike. And then we just filmed uh, like the pedals going that way. When you, when you, so just now you were talking, but sometimes I have a thought in my head and then it escapes my mouth. If, yeah, if, yeah. Anyone, if anyone watches the reel, they know this happened. <laughs> um, so when you had to compose yourself, what do you feel like brought you back to grounded? Um, I was incredibly thankful <clears throat> um, in that moment. And I mean, obviously, knowing we had to get back to work because they're about to because they about to open the museum. Like, okay, nigga, have your moment, but <laughs> but also, <laughs> but also, we need to go. We talk about you know, I, I'm gonna have my glory tear in, in that moment too, for sure. Because again, you just for your first movie, you don't ever you just like so thankful to even make a movie, um, and then to, for it to be again just to be filming it there about this black man in this place that again we should even be that you're just not expecting an american movie to come out of in this space you know what i mean so um that to me was just like you know special i feel like um what i really appreciated about this movie too was so 
the art of filmmaking, I feel like is so lost these days because I feel like I see movies that look like music videos or movies that feel like right. extended TV shows, you know, but right. like the actual devices of filmmaking, like when you were talking about how you get to like, just kind of breathe a little more in filmmaking yeah. you know, and you get to do shots that you don't typically get to do. Like, it was really dope to me to just see how you exhausted the tools of filmmaking. Like you yeah. really like did that. So was there any extended study that you committed to doing that? Or was it just like, Oh, hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. Like before I was doing the movie, I just started watching other filmmakers. I watched a lot of Coen brother movies. Um, and I watched some, uh, some Kurosawa stuff just to see some of how Kurosawa was like really good at using like wind and ele- like other ele- like elemental things to tell stories. Um, and, and the Coen brothers, I think, have such a great sense of pace in their movies, whether the pace is quick or the, whether the pace is very slow. And just how they, how they compose shots. And so I would watch a lot of direct, I was watching much more directing from a very different standpoint. Um, and the other thing was I hired, which I think was the most important thing I did, which was I hired uh, a DP that would make me uncomfortable. I needed Ooh. to be taken out of my comfort zone. Cause you know, running the show, people want to say yes to you a lot, right? When you're yes. like, so, so I knew that if I had a DP that I felt wasn't as experienced as me, I could lean on if I felt, again, this is all person, this is all Prentice's issues. I would lean on, if I was insecure about something, I would lean on my, my cachet or whatever to like flex back my, to be, you know, that, that would be my defense mechanism, right? Well, I know what to do because I've done this. So I wanted somebody I couldn't say that to, right? I needed somebody that was going to challenge me, um, in every way. And so my DP, Elliot Davis, who has forgotten more about movies than I will ever know, uh, he challenged me. He would say, he was like, people will remember a bad movie before they remember a mediocre one. And he was like, you got to go to the edge of the cliff in every single way and just not fall off. And he would be like, he just challenged me. So like things about shooting in silhouette or um, like originally the scene where Nisi finds out about her cancer it was originally a dialogue scene. It was originally a scene where like Courtney comes in, he's like venting and complaining about work. Um, and then he, uh, the wife, Lucy basically says the cancer's back. And it's a short scene, but there's still dialogue. And as I was shooting it and shooting them against the silhouette in the window, another idea came to me, which was, what if you just hear the doctor's voice? This is as we're actually filming it. And I was like, so I still shot the scene how it needed to be shot. But I knew then, I was like, oh, it's going to be much more interesting if you never hear, it'll be much more cinematic, right? If you hear the doctor, which is very clinical, but you're seeing something very emotional, right? And you're juxtaposing those two things. And that's, those are things that, to me, make a movie a movie. And a television show is, would be saying the line, right? And so for me, it was a lot of those were, so Elliot would be constantly challenging me to think much more cinematically. Like, he's the one that was like, yeah, like, like, like we shot like anamorphic, which is shooting at a film rate of two, three, shooting at a film size of 235, which is widescreen. So it's like what they kind of shot like Lawrence of Arabia on. And, and, and so it has that kind of, because I knew I wouldn't, I needed, I needed Memphis to have scope. I, so I was like, this is a, l- a little bitty movie about a father and a son. How do I make it feel more cinematic? Right. And so um, I was always trying to find ways. Ellie and I were always trying to find ways. And we would sit in this little cafe on Main Street. And every day for like six hours, we would just talk movies. We would talk concepts. I, we would pull up images. Um, I would talk about what the scene should feel like. And we'd talk about what shots helped get us there. Um, and we would just do that. And we'd do that 
you know, two, like two, three days a week. And that talking about that and he would share stories and share ideas. And we just would have conceptual thoughts, right. That were beyond just like a shot list. Because when you could, you know, right. when you come in TV, you don't have time to do all that stuff. You got to like, I need a close up and a medium and a this and a that. And if you can get a couple of cool shots in in the meantime, great. But it's just a different, you know, like you can't sit with your DP for all, you know, like she's shooting something else. And so that was the beauty of the movie. And it just, it totally just embraced, um, you know, I got to embrace much more of those qualities. And so Elliot was really the one pushing me and I wanted to live up to his, because it talking about somebody who doesn't give compliments. I think Elliot gave me three compliments the whole movie. And it was like, and, I like uh, your sneakers. <laughs> and it, it, it wasn't even about the shot. <laughs> but, but, one of the, but one of the sequences that he, he actually like verbally said it, because he would always tell me how dope his shots were. And then he was like, ooh, that shot is great. Like the shot he came up with. And so, and that's just Elliot. But the one sequence he was like, yo, you really, this is, this is great, was the sequence where Elijah comes to take the test the whole movie was shot handheld or on a steady cam. That was always the vibe we wanted. Um, but in the sequence where Elijah is taking the test, and I knew I needed it to feel more formal. I mean, he was stepping into a new thing. He's about to take the test. And, and they had the judges there, the, the teachers there. And um, I had this shot listed very differently. And I felt like when I came in and I saw the landscape, and also learned this from directors. And again, also learning from other directors, right? I've watched Kevin Brayer and Debbie Allen on our show mm -hmm. come in Kevin! and just... And, and you know, and not have a not know how they're going to shoot something, and just be like, I, I've seen Kevin come and be like, I just want to see the space, and I'll kind of figure it out. And I that terrified me when he when I would hear him say that because I'm just always <laughs> want to be very prepared. Right. But that was a moment where I learned, hey, trust your gut. And the shots I had on my list weren't as interesting as, well, how do I create things that have more formality right now? And on that moment, I was like, let's put the camera on a tripod just for this part. And let's make everything super angular and have composition, right? We're, everything is very yes. right here. And so we shot like him on one side, the judges on the other side. Yes. We're right behind the judges. We see three doors behind him. We're right over his head. The judges are perfect. Everything was symmetrical. The glasses, yes. the, the tables. So I was like, everything right now is very formal and rigid and serious. And I was like, let's shoot it that way. And so that's what we did. And then the second he grabs the glass, we're back to handheld. Because I was like, now you're back in his world. And so that, but that was a moment there. And then in that, when we were doing it, he was like, Elliot was like, that, that's a good idea. And I was like, ah, because ah, 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 he don't give nothing up. And I was like, okay, I did it. I, I got it. I, got, he got, I don't think I got, I think I got one more that in Paris. And that was all the I like your beret. That's yeah, I like your beret. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, nah. I'll give you the shot compliment. Well, this was one of those films that I judge people on. Like, if they don't like it, I judge them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's a real thing that I do. Like, there's, I've ended a date early because someone said their favorite rapper was Jim Jones. And I was like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> that is priceless. What are we? That is priceless. <laughs> I could, I mean, we could pretend. I mean, I, I, I say in my special, like a true story is I was on right. a date and a dude said to me like, yes, yeah, TV Wonder is overrated. And I was like, we can oh, just wrap oh, this up. Oh, no. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, we we pulled it? into a train station and I literally just got off the train. And he was like, did I was like, it's just not worth it for either. What are we doing? Yeah. I, we're kidding ourselves. I mean, we, we can are. pretend. I can't right. have sex with you now. I can't. No, no, no. <laughs> not to Jim Jones. <laughs> Just <laughs> pulling. I can't. No, I can't. No, 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 no. This is this was um this was such a treat. And I just 
we're in this crazy time in the world. It's dark. It's mm-hmm. it's uncertain. It's historically going to be a time that people look back on with a myriad of of adjacency, right? Right, of juxtapositions to it yeah. because you know. 100%. I mean, I'm watching Michael Yo today. Comedian Michael Yo talk about how he had pneumonia and corona, and you know he was in the hospital. And they tell you the minute you get there that if you if things turn worse, you're not going to see as he coughs. As if things to the <laughs> you can't get into the computer now. I don't think you sure because they be coming up with new shit every day. They do. So, they be changing. They be like, changing. At this point, like I got to go to Target later, and I'm just like stressed out. My choices. I'm stressed out. Like, and I let me do I, my will real quick. Literally. By the way, you know you're famous when they recognize you with a mask on. Like, <laughs> I was in Target, literally, like, with gloves, looking crazy. And right. I'm like, so, uh, can, okay, you t- can you tell me where I can find a bike lock? <laughs> First of all, I appreciate the woman for not judging me for asking where the fuck I can find a bike lock. But she was like, I first have to ask, is you a man of steals? And I was like, how? How? Can you are ask you- me that for six feet, though? Why are you, can you just ask me that? <laughs> Someone in Trader Joe's asked me for a hug. And I was like, we're... Oh, no. No. Because she worked there, too. And I was like, I was like, I know oh, they said no. we can only take two cases, but these are like the four packs. Is it the same for the four packs as it is for the 20 packs? And so we just finished having a conversation about rationing water. But can I get this hug, though? can I get this hug? And me and my mom were like, no. No. And she looked hurt People for a second crazy. and was yeah. like... Oh, right. Corona. (laughs) Oh, right. Pandemic. Yeah. That whole thing. But I say all that to say that in the middle of all of this, you know, here comes this film that is such light and, you know, that oddly enough, everyone is trapped in the house and has to have the opportunity to watch, you know? And I was like, you know, if if anything, if if, if we could get niggas to stay in the house, at least a good film. (laughs) Because motherfuckers is not taking this shit serious. No, they are not. They are not. No, Harlem be functioning like it's just the Harlem Renaissance. It's like, this is... No, it's crazy. My last question for you is, you know, it's all done. Because I'm the type of person where I don't get excited about anything until, like, it's done. Yeah. I I get excited about the accomplishment, not the opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they would be like, yeah, we get to do this. I'm like, no, no. Uh, it could still be trash. Yes, it could still be trash. <laughs> yep. So now that it's all done and it's out there and for what it's worth, I, you know, and I, I know what it's like to put stuff out there and then you have an initial, like, dope response, which is still like, but I feel like there could be haters looking. Like, right. <laughs> right. Just know as, as, a, as a fan, as a, as a creative, as a consummate purveyor of excellence, this is one of my favorite films. It is Thank you. fabulous. It is um, timely. And it's one of those things. It, it inspired me. I've been in a rut. I've been very much like, why are we even doing this? Like, right. creatively, I've just been very like, I guess we could, you know, or I could just start rescuing dogs. Like what, you know, like, I just, <laughs> I've really thought about it. Like, right. And it was one of those pieces that really made me be like, you got to dig deeper seals. 
you got to dig deeper because there is room for dopeness out here. And like, there's, there's just like, there's people like Prentice who are just creating space. There's people like Barry Jenkins who are just like yeah. creating space and y'all are just shack. You're just boxing out in the lane. And oh, it, thank you. it really was, was dope to see. So now that it's all done, like for you, what do you feel like it did for you as an artist, like completing this project? I feel like, you know, it's one of those things you can't, obviously you don't know what it's going to be like when it comes out, right? You're just like trying to like make shit that seems cool, right? And so at least cool and creative and interesting to you. Um, for me, for me, it was like, it was very freeing because I was putting a lot of, in a good way, I think, putting pressure on myself to step into a, a new thing, right? Like, obviously, like, you know, there are directors out there like Barry Jenkins and, and I work with an amazing director in Molina. Like, you know, so I'm around a lot of ta- talent behind the director's chair a lot, even on our, like, like the same on our show. And so, you know, to me, it was about, can I push myself to, like you said, to use all the elements of cinema to try to tell an interesting story, right? That still like resonates and still have, have all those pieces to it. So for me, it was just like, okay, I can do this. You know, because you don't really know until you do it, right? And um, right. I was like, okay, now I feel like, okay, cool. I like, and I'm, I'm actually like, to your point, I'm more excited about what I want to do next and pushing that further, right? And going another step, you know? And and because I didn't even really get to prep how I really even wanted to prep as much on this movie. Like, there were That's so right. many more things I wanted to do. Like, there were things like I would do next time, like, there would be things where I would do like more in-depth character things. So when I'm sitting there talking about character, I'm almost laying out even more so, um, even with just more nuanced things that I could like have actors sink their teeth into, right? Or it'd be like, mm-hmm. um, like I had a lookbook, but my look, like now I look back, I was like, oh my God, like it could have been so much better, like so much more interesting. You know what I mean? Like I would, I would have just taken more time, just on things I know that I would have done differently. You know what I mean? In, in terms of, like more so prep prep work out right like i i watch more movies now in a way that i didn't watch that i was i thought i was watching a lot then but like even now like one of the things i'm doing now that i learned from one of my producers is like i'm watching like all these directors i love and like watching their movies in the sequential order in which they made them because i want to see ah, their evolution and growth and see like oh what do they do different and what do they do different in this genre that they you know do they repeat a genre that they do what do they do and why do they do it and just seeing their growth and not that i'm trying to mimic them but you just want to learn right and so that's what I'm trying to do more now. So that's when I mean like more prep stuff, even before getting behind the director's chair again. It just, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now in advance of that. You know what I mean? So um, that's the stuff that I'm excited about is the, is the study of it. But I think a lot of people don't think about a lot of times. Like, especially I think like something like new millennials just want to, I just want to make it, which is like dope. I love that energy, but there's also a, sometimes a lack of reverence for the craft itself. Um, and I feel like that's what I'm trying to just honor and have more, of that to that point can you send me the script yeah absolutely so i can study yeah because, absolutely. I'll email to you. like i'm 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 in the energy space of like i need to write something i want to write it i want to write it but i'm like yeah. but the craft the craft and i feel like i haven't like i mean i'm a buff like i'm a movie buff you know like yeah. i've studied yeah. in it i've studied on a yep. I've studied on a fan level in the sense, and I, and I, you know, let me give myself a little more credit. I've studied beyond being a fan. Like I've studied as an artist and saying like, okay, like, what do I like about this? What do I not like about this? Like, yeah. how does this move this? So, you know, it's like you have an innate story, but to your point, I don't feel like I have done the studying that I really 
should do um, in terms of screenwriting. And I've tried like the whole, the whole like save, I've read, you know, reading Save the Cat and these mm-hmm. things, but yeah. I'm such a, and I know a lot of my listeners are like this, like I'm more kinetic with my art. Like, yeah, I, I it's more, it's less technical. It's more like, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's a feel. Know, it's a feel. Yes. It's yeah. a feel. So when you're reading scripts, you can feel that and, and break that down in a lot easier way than like just the theory by itself. Like, I feel like yeah. it's like you need the, which is why people go to school. Yeah, <laughs> but the scripts are good too because then you get just like you'll see this. Obviously, you've seen the movie now, so you can just you can you know juxtapose what was on the page, right? And then either a how that got illustrated, right, and and b what stayed and what went. You know, you'll be able to get a sense of oh, like because there are lots of scenes in the scripts that we just cut out. Like there's a lot more of the Paris stuff, but it just wasn't moving story forward. It was nice, but it just wasn't. Mm. It was kind of getting in the way. You know, you didn't need it. And there's rearranged stuff too. So there you'll also see some scenes that got rearranged. Um, I, well, just one more question. Cause I, yeah. I'm so fascinated by how, because a lot of times people either direct a film or they act in a film or they write a great film, you know, but to do all of these, to, to write it, direct it. And a lot of people really do not respect the edit. Oh, the edit. It's, I always say like, and I think a lot of people know this, right? There's three movies. There's the movie you write, there's the movie you shoot and there's the movie you edit. Right. And they're, they all, ch- they're, they all, what you're trying to do throughout that though, whether you're in television or movies is you're trying to keep thematically the same thing happening, right? So the same feelings happening. So whether or not, like, there were times, like, again, like, we, I told you about that father-son scene, that on its, pay, on its face, when we, on the page, it was fine. When we shot it, there were other interesting, more interesting versions than the one that was on the page. And then in the edit, we left all those and just went with a look, right? So, because they all elicited and make you feel different things. So, but in essence, what I was just trying to create for that moment was a moment that, at the end of the day, that scene is about them saying, I love you. Now, whether they say the words, I love you, they dance around it or say nothing at all, the feeling that you need to leave that scene with is that I love you, right? That's the intention of the scene. So as long as you always made, to me, maintain the scene's intention, how you get there, which I think what Kenny Kenny is kind of saying, is you're just, it doesn't really matter. You're just trying to keep that feeling or that intention there in, in all the scenes, right? That's kind of the point, right? And so... Um, the, the, the lines can change, the whatever, however you shoot it, the music can change, but as long as the intention is, oh, this scene needs to be about, or, you know, in the garage, this scene needs to be about the father and the son finally having words, right? Whatever the words are, it's okay. It's really about, is, do you feel the father's anger yeah. coming out and the son's anger coming out? Then that's the most important thing that matters, how you, what they say or do, as long as that stays, because there were lines I cut in that, that, that they actually had more dialogue. And I was like, men don't be, as a, on the thing, I was like, oh, they would need to be fighting right now. Or right. I don't think no, I don't know no black dad that would just let his son keep talking to him like this. I mean, so I actually paired it back. I just started, and then in the edit, what we started doing was I started having them cut each other off. So like I let them stop finishing. So in the edit, we just had the words overlap each other. And then that became more interesting, right? And so yeah. again, to your point about the edit, the edit, like we had a different editor at first and then uh, shout out to Sandra Montiel who came in and and recut the movie and she was amazing and she was the one that was like oh we should rearrange this and do this and that and, and she was all right i think what i've gotten what i've gleaned ooh, okay mm-hmm. okay that. okay innuendo <laughs> gleaned okay um mostly from just how this all manifested is really you just had to decide to trust your instincts and you know, you put together a team and you prepared yourself enough 
to where you could trust your instincts on the spot. And I think yeah. a lot of us 100% underestimate just how important that is because you, at the end of the day, if you can't trust yourself in the moment, like you're going to kick yep. yourself later. Yep. Yep. That, yeah. that was the biggest thing was I, I was at that what the biggest thing also again just apprentice issue that I had to get past that was I had to get past uh being afraid to fail. Uh, that's that's a real that was a personal thing I had to move past because it was not gonna let me make the movie. At least I was trying you to You can't be a perfectionist. It's not possible. I, I yeah. And I I just Radical. was like I can't, I can't play it safe. I was like, I gotta go, I gotta be all in on this thing. Like you said to me, like I gotta be all in on whatever creative direction I'm taking and just trust it. You know what I mean? And so it was nice, you know, it's like sometimes I have success and sometimes I think I shot up like, ah, it didn't work. But I'm not mad that it, I'm, I'm happier that I tried it than I didn't try it, you know, because the things that I did try that worked, I thought worked really well. So, um, but, that, but that was the thing I had to get over, like, as opposed to playing it conservative and playing it kind of space, you know, visually or, or Go music. hard. Radical self-acceptance. Radical yeah. self-acceptance. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to. The last dose. Well, I, you know, I appreciate that a a Blacksford alumni of Smart, Funny, and Black has gone on to continue to add to the, <laughs> for the cultural game. <laughs> I got to come back because I lost last time. You do. You got to come back. I want to add you come back again. I want to get you in like you versus Barry Jenkins or some shit. Like the to go up against Barry Jenkins. Barry like, Jenkins don't want that. I'm saying it right now. Barry Jenkins don't want none. It's out there. It will be manifested. It will be manifested. So everybody, please check out Uncorked uh, on on Netflix. And Insecure will be back April 12th um, in quarantine. My mom was like, well, you know, Insecure about to take over on the internet. I'm like, yes. 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 <laughs> I'm aware. Yep. Um, yep. And thank you so uh, much for having me. Thank you. I, you know, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Your text meant everything for real. Like, your text, like, I remember when I saw your special and I was texting you, like, girl, you just killed that shit. Like, you, like, you in the zeitgeist, like, you in the zeitgeist now. Like, the airplane with the window. And when you, when you, that's when you know, like, I remember when I saw Bernie Mac and when he, obviously, we all saw Kings of Comedy and when he did, you know, you know, him downstairs, like, those things right. just are like, because that was what was I loved about it. It was like, obviously, you have funny jokes and you had all those funny things. But what I, loved, what I loved about that moment was it was like when Bernie Mac came on that and he just told a story. And, and obviously, he crafted it as you crafted it, and of, of course. But it doesn't feel that way, right? It feels like you're just talking. And that's when you know you've connected to people in a way that's like, oh, it's a conversation. And we've all had this universal experience. And that's what I felt like. You text so you, so when so when you texted I know how I felt when I texted you and I was watching you and I was just like because I see you on the show so it's like obviously I've been seeing you the last four years and yeah. and so I, I know how talented you are but that just took it to That's a whole other level and so I was and so when you texted me I felt your text <laughs> I felt it because I was just I, that's when I was like because again you don't blow smoke and so I. <laughs> That text me. Just y'all know, everything. I had to text him in the middle of the film. I was like, I got to pause the shit to text you because I am emotional at the level of a Harry Potter film. I literally, when I watch Harry Potter, I'm so, I remember seeing Deathly Hollows and like 
just oh, starting no, to high high yeah. of just yeah. excitement and just like yeah. pure, just like I am so happy. Yeah. <laughs> and as I was watching your movie, I felt that same feeling happen. I was like, I gotta let this movie know. I love it. I love it. So yes, and um, and I was sharing with you. You know, other people are like, yo, yeah. like. I'm watching, I'm watching. I was like, yeah, we're moving the culture yeah. forward. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing in this, there's nothing in this movie that says this movie should be number one. Nothing. Like there's nothing in this movie that in America they would be like, oh, it's a movie about black male vulnerability and fathers and clans who are like present and black people in one and 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 yeah. you know, going to Paris. Like that's the like what studio exec is asking for that script? They're like Avengers, then <laughs> yes. Right, 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 right. And so just to see the people like for the culture just turn up and like, you know, your support and, and just everybody's support to see this just speak. So like, yes, we know what we're trying to do. So wait, I do have another question out of that. Why do you yeah. think they made it? I think Netflix made it. And, and I will say give credit to them because I think as I've had conversations with them, they're trying to do more of that because I think what they understand, different than studios understand, and a lot of it has to do with that without getting the weeds of like their financial structure and how the companies are set up to succeed, right, is the studio has to trying to aggregate as they release, you know, 12 movies a year because it's just expensive to put a movie out. So they're, so you're like, well, we got 12 shots, but we can't be taking a shot about this, like, you know, we got to do a Spider-Man. You know what I mean? So like, but Netflix, their, their financial infrastructure is different. They can take more shots and they can be, because they're not getting box office, they're doing like, we need to, we need to target audiences. So we need to target, we need to target a mainstream audience, obviously, but we also need to target audiences for people of color and, and women. They can be, and they can afford to be more niche. They can afford to be more niche. And, and you know, my, my movie was not, is a, it was on the indie side of Netflix, so it wasn't an expensive movie, you know, it's, it's an under $10 million But you were movie. shooting in Paris. Well, like we were, we were, we were shooting in Paris, but, uh, but, 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 but they understand that they're like, I think they're less surprised about what happened. I'm very surprised. Um, I think they're obviously very happy, but I think they understand that there are audiences like them putting out self-made, the, the C.J. Walker like limited series, yeah. and they understand, you know, that there's a, and they know there's an audience for this because they they know their subscribers, so they know they're that people just don't want to see certain imagery of us, right? And so I think they 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 were a hundred percent supportive and let me make the movie I wanted to make. They never. I mean, they had notes and stuff like that, but they were never like, man, you can't shoot it this way or shoot it that. Like, I never got any notes on how I was shooting the movie. Not, not one. Wow. Well, so they were, shout out to Netflix for letting me like, just kind of make it how I wanted to. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at Small Doses. Thank a very you. large dose of Uncorked. And make sure everybody go watch it. And I can't wait to see the next thing. Thank you, girl. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you, Prentice. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See you, girl. See ya. Bye. Bye. Star Bands Audio, a podcast network.